I had no idea what I wanted to do, but I had a very clear idea of what I didn't want to do. And I did not want to go jump into a, a job right then. Um, I didn't really care what I did as long as it wasn't that. This is for the others out there, the other ambitious people who want to play at a higher level in their life. It's time to get curious and get real. Join me and together, let's find the others. Hey, everybody, welcome back to another episode of Find the Others podcast. I am your host, Joshua Church. Grateful to have you with us. New episodes are dropping every Wednesday and Sunday, so be sure to hit the subscribe button so that you can get the notification when a new episode comes out. And give me a follow on Instagram at Joshua Dean Church to catch different clips and highlights that I post. Also, if you're enjoying the podcast, you find something that might be valuable, please be sure to share it with a friend who also might be into it so that together we can continue to grow our tribe of others. Today, I'm excited to bring you a great conversation with my friend, Alex Starr. Alex is a former wildland firefighter who was stationed in Arizona on an initial attack crew for three years, an entrepreneur and a best-selling author and podcaster who has reached over 100,000 people in 30 different countries. He was once lost in the desert on horseback, ripped off the head of a chicken while being pressured by an 80-year-old grandma, and occasionally seeks validation from strangers. He now lives in Austin, Texas with his fiance and their tiny yet fierce dog, Macy. We talked all about his unconventional path after college, building conscious relationships, writing his book, expressing authenticity, and, and building the side hustle. Give Alex a follow on Instagram at AlexHStar and check out his book, Rewrite the Rules, on Amazon. The link is in the show notes. I highly, highly, highly recommend the book. It's hilarious, insightful, and such an enjoyable quick read. Without further ado, please welcome Alex Starr. Alex Starr, what's up, my man? What's up, dude? Great to, uh, Good to, see you. Great to have you on. Yeah, man. Good to finally be on. I know we were going to do it here in Austin a couple months ago, whenever that was. Yeah, we were just having too much fun. <laughs> Much fun eating and jumping in Barton Springs and it was freezing outside. That's right. And going on other people's podcasts. <laughs> going on other people's podcasts and you meeting five people from Ohio that all like partied together. That's it. Uh, if you now you know the Ohio Ohio blood runs thick. Like Ohioans find each other and they stick together. Do you do you find that true now? I had never, I still to this day haven't hung out with Adam and Grant together in the same place again since. That's funny. And yet all you guys were there and then he had his buddy in town and then there was five of you from Ohio and I was sitting there trying to understand whatever language you guys were speaking. <laughs> yep. Certainly different language, but um, the I locations. It's <laughs> so funny. I see you got your Terry, uh, is that the Terry Black's barbecue hat on? That's right, baby. Yeah. Oh yeah. You know that spot. I do. Yeah. Um, this is also probably the fastest turnaround for a podcast ever. I literally woke up today. I'm like, I want to get someone cool on this week for the podcast. And then you were calling me and I thought after, oh, Alex, perfect. And yeah. three hours later, here we are. So I appreciate yeah. that. Dude, by far the quickest. Yeah. I mean, I was doing podcasting for over five years there and I have no thing. I have never done a, a podcast that quick. For Same day. Cold to soul. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, in three that's, hours. That's the that's the best part about. I always love interviewing other podcasters because, like, you can pop right on right right away. Other people that I might want to interview, they're like, "Oh, I want some time to kind of like get my stuff together to think about it." You're just like, "Nope, let's roll, let's hit it." Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It does help, man. It's kind of cool when you like yep. when you when you do certain. Um, you realize that there's certain things that you can do in life as like a hobby or as a job, whatever that has like such. Um, wide encompassing effects on your life as opposed to like, Oh, you just record some podcasts, but in reality it helps you. Yeah. Learn how to communicate quicker and how to mm. talk to new people and like really expand on and like extrapolate ideas that you've been thinking about and just a whole lot of skills that come from just podcasting, you know? Yeah. That's a great, that's a great thought. And to take a step further, I think one of the things that I've enjoyed the most is like the networking game that you play with it. Cause 
I'm I'm always curious to to meet new people to bring them on as guests on my show. And so it's it's always like, cool, like who am I gonna meet this week that's gonna be a future guest? And who whose story you're starting you start to talk to people a little bit differently to get to know their stories to to see like who might be a great person to interview and share their story. But but it comes down to those quality reps. And I, I mean, this is something that you've done. You've done a lot of podcast episodes, right? How many how many episodes have you done? I mean, probably about the same as you now, though, man. I think I, <laughs> yeah. I ended up I ended up doing about a hundred because I had the fire seasons in there. Um, right. I had a lot of things that I really put a damper for like months at a time where I couldn't do it. But um, over the five years, I did about a hundred, and then um, yeah, about six months ago, I stopped doing it. Yeah. And I know you've shifted. I love your Thursday reflections, your Thursday writing that you send in your in your email, your newsletter. Oh, yeah. So thanks. Man. A plug here for anybody who likes to read some notes that are to get to get inspired throughout the week. Um, the Thursday, the Thursday email. But I feel like that serves a similar purpose, which is like it's just forcing yourself to take those quality reps or something. Can you speak to that a little bit more about like taking quality reps and building skills? Yeah. I mean, yeah. So it's like the Thursday thoughts email, but <clears throat> yeah, it's the same premise that you use for writing a book, which you are now starting. Right. And uh, the yep. book that I wrote and working out and man, networking and relationships, right. And podcasting and, and everything's just like, yeah, putting in the reps when the beginning, like right now I have 200 people that subscribe to that email list. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, mostly friends and family. I would say that 90% of them are friends and family. When I first started my podcast, I had five downloads a week and you know how much work this all takes. Yeah. It takes so much work and you're just putting out all this. um, You're just putting in so much work and it's not that like the validation, it's not like you need the validation and like the views and stuff, but um, it does help to know that like your thoughts and ideas are resonating and connecting with other people even though there is an aspect of art where you're creating things just to create them, there is that other component of it where it's like, well, I hope it's sticky. You know, I hope it's actually making an impact with somebody listening or reading or whatever it is that you're doing. Um, So yeah, the, the Thursday thoughts is just another way of, you know, just every week sitting down and having to come up with something to write about and like um, expanding on it so that it's not just me writing, but that it's something valuable for the people mm-hmm. um, that are reading it. And it's been awesome, man, because yeah, not only is it like a piece by piece, you know, writing just the email, but then I have content for other things. And then I, 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 I expand on those ideas to create a longer form, you know, blog. And then I, I'm thinking about things to write for my book. And then I've had people reach out that then, you know, they talk about, you know, like I wrote about Krav Maga the other week and how I've been scared to like do some type of fighting. And then someone else replied to that email, a friend of mine that I haven't spoken to in years and said, dude, me too. And he's also in Austin. And he was like, you know what? I'll come join you um, next Sick. week. But which one are you going to? So now he's going to come join me on Tuesday. So you just like, you like you've, you talk about this too, man. You, you get more by doing more, you know, mm. and it just starts to fit on itself where it just builds on each other. Yeah, I love that, dude. So um, when did you get to a point? And I want to dig into a little bit about your backstory as well, from AmeriCorps to um, to, to wildland firefighting as well. Fascinating. And I love the stories that you're sharing in your book, Rewrite the Rules. Uh, what What is it? The unconventional way to building a... Intentional life. Yeah. Intentional an unconventional life. way to build an intentional life. Yeah. yeah. That's yeah. I, I barely know it. So good for you <laughs> for knowing it. <laughs> love it. Yeah. Yeah. But I love the short stories that you shared in there as well. But at, at what point did you realize that you wanted to, that, that you were a creator and you wanted to share the experiences that you were going through and you wanted to provide that value to others? Was it recently? Was it the whole time somewhere along the way? Yeah, like specifically for the stories that I share in the book, you mean? For the stories you share in the book and just in general, because like I, I get yeah. the sense that you're you're a you're a storyteller, right? You're a creator yeah. in that way. Yeah. Yeah. I think when I was younger, man, I remember in English class, I used to <clears throat> they used to assign you fucking essays you'd have to write. Yeah. Right. You you have to write an introduction, three body paragraphs, and then a conclusion. Wasn't that kind of the the premise that most of us were brought up on, right? And I remember wanting and doing and just instilling like my own flavor to it. And I'd start some sentences with and or but, even though you were never supposed to do that. And just starting to try to craft into these stories. And I remember it just getting like X the fuck up and just read stuff all over the place. And, you know, this is not how you're supposed to start a paragraph. And I just remember being really pissed off about that and really Mm -hmm. annoyed because there was this creativity that was like flowing out of me that 
just I felt like kept getting hindered by their SAT protocol, whatever it was. And um, so I think I, I saw that trying to come out and then it, it just started to come out in other ways that people responded to. So I started making short videos. I made small like nature documentaries in my backyard of like literally like the beavers and ducks and stuff that are in the <laughs> creek behind my house when I was a kid. And I would like record them and then make a documentary and like photography. And then I started writing stories. And like um, when I was younger, I used to lie a lot. So I actually mm. I this other day is like my lies. I, I wasn't trying to lie to in like a, a vindictive way. Yeah, I lied because. I was, I enjoyed making up stories and you could get a response from people that the truth just couldn't really reach. I love it. And so I would just lie throughout like, you know, until I was like, you know, 10 or whatever. I was just always coming up with these elaborate stories and just, and my mom, they like tried to take me to counseling and shit of like, you're lying too much. And I'm, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not trying to screw anybody over. It's just way more fun than the truth. So um, that all transpired into like then the podcasting. And then I always knew I would write a book. And then, you know, when these stories started to come at me through the podcast, through my AmeriCorps, through travels in South America for months at a time, the firefighting, everything just kind of came together and coalesced into like, you know, this framework that it was like, um, you know, all these people's lessons and and all these stories that they had and that that I had, but especially what other people had. I was like, you know, these need to be shared in a format that like other people can hear about and actually learn from, because you know, this, like a, a, a lot of times when you're doing a podcast or you're writing, you're really just trying to capture these stories from other people that are never going to see the light of day and mm. they will disappear with them unless somebody does something about it. And that was my first real core reasoning for doing it was I was meeting a, a couple of guys on my fire crew that just had unbelievable backstories of like gangs and then getting out of it. And one guy was, a uh, he had his MBA in accounting and was just fucking miserable and decided to quit and become a firefighter. And it, it was all very kind of, it, it, none of the stories were like, you know, Gandhi or something like that. They were just like these uh, absolutely incredible stories, but they were so incredible because they were also so common. Yeah. And, and I wanted people to be able to see themselves in these stories. And um, I just knew that they had to be shared because there were other people that could benefit from hearing them. And could That's take great. a chance if they heard these people's stories. That's great. So y you've built an intentional life. Certainly, you've you've deviated from the conventional path. Um, what? Where was there the fork in the road for you where you realized, okay, everybody is going left. I'm going to go right. After college, for sure. After college, take me through that. Yeah, yeah. Um, looking back now, college was probably the worst time of my life. If I were to be honest. Um, Not the answer you hear most really, people say. Yeah, right. Um, well, you know, you know, there was a lot of Friday and Saturday nights that um, were fantastic. Don't get me mm. wrong, but um, at at the end of the day, it was very, it was very shallow, and it was very, it was absent of any of, of any real meaning. So I I did feel a lot of um, man, I was probably depressed. I was drinking a lot. I was literally just chasing girls and drinking. Yeah, And I was there at college because that's what you did after high school. I really wasn't there because I really wanted to be. Mm. And uh, after college, I, when it was wrapping up, you know, the other, the, what do you do after college? You go get a fucking job, you know? And um, I had no idea what I wanted to do, but I had a very clear idea of what I didn't want to do. And I did not want to go jump into a, a job right then. Um, I didn't really care what I did as long as it wasn't that. So um, that's where I kind of took that path. Everyone else started looking for jobs and, man, that's where I was looking at working on farms for months at a time. I was going to go do Peace Corps. And that's when I stumbled into AmeriCorps, mm -hmm. and uh, which, which is like a domestic Peace Corps that you do for a year. And that's what changed everything, man. It, that was that one. It was literally the most discreet, uh, the most concrete fork in the road, like you're saying, um, of like, you can go this way. And not that there's anything wrong with that. And, right. and I, might, I might go into a more standard job um, you know, at a point in my life and all that stuff. But at that point, it was so pivotal for me that I had to go find, you know, what I was looking for, so to speak. Yeah. And, and there was something deep, deep in me that was saying, you're not going to find it getting a job at enterprise. I remember one of the jobs I, somebody was suggesting I go apply for was enterprise. And, um, 
uh, I just, yeah, I just, I, I had lived such a good life too, that mm. it was like, I wanted to give back. I wanted to go test myself when you're born and raised. Like, I don't know the intricacies of your, your upbringing, but like my family wasn't perfect, but I definitely was never struggling for food or, or shelter or anything like that. And so when you're in like that kind of middle-class rut a little bit, you know, you never really get tested. And so mm. you almost feel like there's something missing you know, where you don't really know who you are and what you can, what you can handle. Um, yeah. and I just couldn't, I couldn't fathom the idea of being 30 and never knowing what I was capable of and what I could have done. Yeah, that's real, man. I, I really like what you said there. You were in college because that's what you did after high school. And most people go get a, a job after college. Cause that's what you do after college. You go get a job. And there's this there's this whole uh, what one of my other friends referred to as like the monoculture of like the step by step, like of what the culture recommends. It's like you do this, then you do this, then you do this, and you do this. And again, like you said, there's nothing wrong with it if you're purposefully decide this is what I want to do or this is the path that I want to go on. But I feel like a lot of people don't purposefully decide those things they are just doing it because they're on autopilot and that's just what you do. And those are the types of people that regret it later or have the fear for not taking a shot or, or have that, you know, have that remorse or they wish they would have done things differently. So it seems like you came to that moment right out of college, right? Yeah. 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 Right out of college. And yeah, I mean, I have friends who followed that monoculture path mm -hmm. and I really do genuinely think that they are happy individuals. Amazing. Super and that's happy. what matters. I mean, that's all that matters. It works for them. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It works for them. And like, I, yeah, like, and it might work for me in the future. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. It really does just matter. That's a good point of like being intentional with it and not, not just feeling like coerced into making these decisions or, or, you know, I think what happens a lot of times, and I was beyond blessed that I, I had a dad who even put the AmeriCorps seat in my mind. Yeah. But, um, you know, I think a lot of times it's not that, people feel pressured into doing the next step. It's almost like they don't even know that there are other options. Right. And, and they don't even know that they're being pressured into something because without a lack of other options, then there is even no pressure needed. Mm -hmm. That's just the path you go down. They don't even see another one. Yeah. And so I think, you know what I mean? Like, I think, um, that sometimes is the hardest part to, is just even knowing that there's other other options available to you that right. you can do. Right. Yeah. And that's so much of what got me into why I started loving reading right around the end of college for me, uh, because I realized, whoa, like there's a whole different like you can and travel, obviously, too. travel. Travel shows you that front and center. When you when you go experience other cultures or other other people, other customs, other norms, you realize my version of reality is just a version of it. And there's a whole other, there's a whole big world out there that has different viewpoints on different things and different ways of approaching life in different ways. Did you find that too through your travels? Yeah, man. I mean, I think that's what makes every, every decade of your life, you know, there's, there's different, like, there's different ways of looking at the different decades of your life. You know, in the twenties is seen as like a, uh, you know, you're, you're growing and you're learning about how the world works and your place in it. The 30s can be seen as more of like setting up the actual core foundations and perhaps starting a family and 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 starting to learn about fatherhood and, and things like that. So every, every decade has these different nuances to it. But what makes the 20s so exciting is that and and like the 20, you know, I would say like below 30, just to put like a somewhat arbitrary number on it, is that like mm -hmm. it's also new, you know, it's yeah. also fresh, like. I heard this great line from um, from somebody that was talking about how like we should be speaking to babies more about how the world works because they're still fresh from the other side and they haven't been molded to accept yeah. this yet. And there's nothing and not like they, everything's wrong with our current reality. But like when you're in, when you're when you're at that age, you only get that once in your life where you see a new culture for the first time and you have that brain explosion where you realize that the world you've been brought up with is not the only world out there. And there's a million different realities and there's a million different ways of living and, and, and interacting and eating and, and everything under the sun. There's so many different ways of doing it. And there's only that, like there's that, there's that small window of time where it's like genuinely so new and fresh that um, you like, it just changes your whole perception of what's possible because yeah. you travel or you read books or yeah. Podcasts, right? Like how, podcasts blow my mind about like 
the way that we can hear about these different cultures or documentaries and stuff that in right. the past you were just stuck in your country or in your spot and yeah. you didn't get to know about what the rest of the world was doing. And now it's like we can know about the food they eat on the streets of Thailand, you know, right. by flipping on my TV. Dude, yeah, and not not too long ago when when film when when movie theaters were just entering the scene and film was just being widely expanded the movie theater previews would be they would literally just pay play like scenes from a beach and it would be people's first time seeing what the beach looks like or the eiffel tower right how trippy is that and like that's not that we're not talking we're not talking 300 years ago we're we're we're, we're, we're talking not that long ago at all so we're adapting quickly to all this totally man i mean it's the past i mean we've had Netflix has been around for what a decade? Yeah, yeah, right, a decade. Homo probably. sapiens have yeah. Homo sapiens are somewhere between two hundred and three hundred thousand, right, years old. <laughs> you know, civilization and agriculture is ten thousand, and then Netflix is ten years. Yeah, yeah, it's a trip, man. So, okay, so when you were at AmeriCorps, what were you actually doing? Where were you? Like, what was your day to day? Where were you positioned? What were you doing? Yeah, we have we had four projects in AmeriCorps, so it's it's a really cool program. Um, AmeriCorps N Triple C is what it's called, but it's one year, four projects, and we were the American Southwest. So um, I did I did one project in like a homeless shelter food bank. So we were there helping people on the ground level with finding jobs and getting food coming in and stuff like that. Living like in a basement of a church in Denver. Um, and then another project was in San Antonio on a ranch doing like building kind of like land use. And then um, two of them were wildland firefighting. So that's how I didn't mm. even know what the fuck wildland firefighting was until I showed up and they were like, during the first month of training, they were like, hey, we have this wildland firefighter crew where instead of all four projects being like public service, two of them will be public service and two of them will be wildland firefighting. Very and cool. uh, my my first thought was, oh, I'm definitely not uh, man enough to be a wildland firefighter. <laughs> I'm like 23 or whatever. Um, I got past that and then, um, made the team and, um, yeah. And then we did two, I did, I did two of those projects up in like the mountains of Colorado and, you know, I wasn't getting really paid for it, but I was learning all the skills, mm -hmm. got certified, cut down a ton of trees, went on a, a few fires up in the mountains of Colorado and stuff. Um, and then that's what set me up for when I finished AmeriCorps, I was able to really, I had all these skills. I had what's called a red card, which means that you're certified to be a wildland firefighter. Excuse me. I'm carbonated water um, anywhere <laughs> in the country. And so, uh, man, that's what, when I finished AmeriCorps, I went straight home and I started working at a fucking storage place, like literally cleaning up people's shit that they were taking in the storage units and um, just started calling the captains of different fire stations across the country on my lunch breaks until I found a couple that that hired me and I decided on Southern Arizona and and worked down there for three seasons. Wow. So and the difference for people who don't know between wildland firefighters and structural or regular firefighters. What, oh, what, how do you do yeah. that? Yes. Structures. Yeah. Your city firefighter. They they do a lot of medical calls. Mm -hmm. um, so they they typically have a lot more training because they deal with, a, a, like I said, all a lot of medical calls and um, uh, structure fires just require a completely different skill set than yeah. wildland um and they're more permanent they usually are doing it for 20 30 years and then getting a pension mm -hmm. wildland is the wild west of of firefighting if, if you want to classify them together you got a lot of seasonal people that are there for four to six months you make quick cash in a short amount of time you're flying around in helicopters you're doing 80 100 hours a week um you know you don't plan anything for those six months you're chewing a lot of tobacco you're drinking beer in between you're drinking a lot of coffee and it's just fucking go time, man. It is like, you know, gunslingers. And uh, it's just a dude. It is a fucking it was the best job ever for those three seasons. It was time to go when I was done. But like, man, in your 20s, like you got to travel the country, see these amazing parts you'd never be able to see on your own. Mm -hmm. Fly around in helicopters, meet a bunch of cool friends and do exciting shit like light forest on fire. Yeah, that's that's pretty cool. Couldn't couldn't, couldn't be beat. Yeah, that's pretty sweet. Uh, and you have six months off in the winter. You have six months yeah. off to go travel and do whatever you want. That's pretty clutch. I like that. At what point did you realize, okay, you know, I mean, was there a career to be made out of that for you or was it always just kind of an ex experimental phase? Yeah, I feel like I've just been one experimental phase to the next for the past <laughs> for the past eight years since I left college, really. Um, yeah, no, it was always 
you know, season by season. Uh, you know, that, that lifestyle is amazing, but it, yeah, it definitely wears on you after a while. And then you kind of get a desire to put down, you know, some roots and stuff like that. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, but then once you put down roots, then all you desire is to move around all the time. <laughs> kind of that grass is greener catch 22, huh? That's all it is, dude. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, um, yeah, you know how that goes. Yeah, I know how that goes. So speaking of putting down roots, you're putting down some big roots here with your fiance, right? Um, yeah, don't say the F word. Don't say the F word. Don't say the F word. Live on the podcast. <laughs> and, and I have to mention your fierce little dog, Macy, of course. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. So, uh, this is something that I thought was very insightful when we were chatting about it, but your, uh, your take on relationships and like, you know, you didn't, you didn't seem like the relationship guy, but you, your mindset shifted on that. The relationship that you're in probably challenged some of those notions. Can you speak a little bit about that relationship and what it takes to build an intentional relationship like the one that you have? Yeah. Um, shrooms helps for sure. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, no, in all honesty, I mean, yeah, I, I was single except for one year in college where I dated a nice young lady um, I was single from 18 until 28 for, mm-hmm. for those 10 years, you know, and, and I loved it. You know, I loved being single. I love the freedom and independence and stuff. Um, but, uh, yeah, you know, there was, a, as Ashley and I started to date and we got closer and closer, I, I hit this, I hit this point that I could feel, but I couldn't really articulate where I came up against who I had been for so long and my ego, my subconscious, whatever, it, it didn't want that to change. And so it started feeding me all of these lies and all these excuses and all these things as to why Ashley and I should stop dating. You know, we should put an end to it. You know, it's, it's not the right time, you know, stuff about, you know, me and oh, this isn't really something I really want to do. And you know, maybe, you know, her chicken was a little overcooked last week. So what does that mean? You know, I mean like dumb stuff, you know, but it's really just your, your sub, your ego just wants things to stay the same. And I could Mm -hmm. feel that happening. I didn't really know what to do about it. And, uh, we went out one night and, and she was like, is, you know, is everything okay? We're out to dinner. And I'm like, yes. And also no. And she was like, oh, you know, are we, are you like going to, break up with me right now because we've been dating like six months so it was kind of hitting that mm-hmm. that stage you know and then she was a year older than me too so i was like 29 she was 30 so you know they don't have a lot of time to fucking sit around and dilly dally either at that age <laughs> um truth and uh yeah and so i basically was like everything's good but i need like three to four days and she was like three to four days of what and i was like three to four days on airplane mode, you know, like I'll talk to you in like three, four days, but everything's good. I just need some time. And, um, that's what I did. I literally went and did shrooms. I'm not kidding. And like, I did that because I needed to clear away the resistance that had been building up. And Mm -hmm. that really helped me see, I knew what I was doing, but it helped, it helped me see it. You know, it helped helped you like not avoid it. You couldn't avoid it after that. Yeah. Yeah, it helped me confront it and to really recognize what I was doing. And also, I I just left my, like, you know, the I did shrooms one of the days and I just, like, went for a lot of walks and just really tried to evaluate, like, what was going on. And at the end, it was like, dude, you have an amazing woman that loves you and, like, wants to continue being with you in your life. Don't be a fucking idiot. You will regret this if you you decide to break up or if you decide not Mm -hmm. to move forward. Um, you'll regret it for the rest of your life. Yeah. Not no guarantees as to how it all turns out, of course, right? For you know, you never know how things turn out, you know, 50 years down the road. But right, you know, it basically was telling me like that you'd regret it forever, not at least seeing where it went. And so, you know, so then I followed that and now here we are getting married. Yeah. That's pretty cool, man. I love that. I think that's a Drippy. that's an important message. That's an important message to share, especially that like you can you can also have the relationship without feeling like you're necessarily giving away all of your freedom i know that's something that i think it's a tough one dude it's a tough one right to give and take a balance but i feel like you've been able to intentionally manage that well i mean i'm i mean honestly i'm just honestly i i it's a lot of ashley to be honest you know and that's why i think we work so well together is because 
if you're someone that really values your freedom, like, like me, like that's one of my biggest drivers is to my freedom and my independence and stuff. Then man, the sparkling water is out of control. Right now. <laughs> um, you, it, what was I saying? Yeah. So if, you know, if you're someone that, if you know yourself and you value freedom, you value independence, then I can guarantee that your relationship won't work out if you find someone that is needy and, and doesn't understand that and wants to be with you all the time. Like, yeah, you know, even if you both are amazing people, you know, it's mm-hmm. just not going to work. So mm-hmm. um, I just got really, you know, Ashley is someone who just lets me do that. And um, I remember when we first started dating too, I would always tell her, you know, well, I might disappear tomorrow for a week. I might just disappear. I might go on a, I'm going to disappear to the mountains for a week. Okay, well, you know, just let me know where you're going so I know you're not dead. You know, that's how she'd respond. And and I, I wouldn't even I wasn't even serious, but it was just like yeah. that like that 12-year-old boy in me that just was like, you know, I, I might disappear. Like I can do whatever I want still. I can still do whatever I want, you know. And um and she just played it so cool and was just like, cool, whatever, you know. And uh I think that's what really kind of, you know, has allowed me to you know, go along and, and, and enjoy the relationship so much is because, you know, she doesn't really try and like impede me from, from being who I was. Yeah. That's really cool. I, I think it's important to understand those values and how those shared values align. It seems totally. like that really aligns. So it works. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Cause it works. Yeah. And I mean, and there were a lot of girls that, you know, they were great and I was great, but it didn't work because, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because there was, yeah, there was too much, you know, there, there, it was conflicting. What, what are some of the other things that, that you value? Have you done some like intentional work around just dis- dis- like deciding, you know, your values or things or key drivers in life? It sounds like freedom is one of them for sure. Yeah. I always just like family, like it's always like, um, well, family, of course, but I mean, it's just like, um, there's this great, you know, Aldo Leopold, you know, that author he wrote, he was an environmentalist. He wrote a book called the sand County Almanac. Um, it's a, it's a work, it's a nonfiction book and it's fantastic. Mm And, um, one of the things that he writes about is that, you know, he, he could be a hundred percent content in his life with books, with friends and with nature. And when I read that, I just, it just kind of summed up everything for me too. You know, I I don't know if those are values per se, but you know, they just kind of like sum up. I just try and come back to those in terms of like, you know, Friends is also a way of like, you know, valuing just relationships and valuing like being good to others. You know, my dad mm-hmm. always the golden rule, you know, like just being good to other people is is a huge piece. And and then, yeah. you know, being good and, you know, connecting with the outdoors and nature and then books can encompass anything, you know, that can encompass learning as a whole. It can encompass, um, you know, starting businesses and then all mm-hmm. these different things, you know, can come from like those three aspects. So I try not to overcomplicate it too much. I know some people I see online that'll just have like these long list of values and like all these things. And sometimes I think, oh man, maybe I need to write like more of my values down, like integrity and like, you know, all these, all these things and uh, courage and stuff like that. And then I'm like, I'll just stick to like those three, you know, basic ones because they just, they're so simple. That's so great. I I like the simplicity aspect of it for sure. Uh, That's a new one. I haven't heard that line. Yeah, like yeah, they're they're similar to that. They're functional like that, and they're like they're lines or things functional. that resonate really functional. Deep. I like that. Functional. I'm gonna use that functional values. Yeah, yeah, functional values. Like one of my top values is leave it better than you found it, and like that could sum up everything. Just like wherever you're at, like when I think about on a macro level of being human on this planet and being blessed with the opportunities that I have, like I want to leave the world better than I found it for sure. When I when I pa- when I peace out, like that's it. I want to make sure I leave it better than I found it. And then on the micro level, how can I leave every conversation better than I found it? How can I leave every interaction better than I found it? Every place that I visit. I mean, you know this in, when you're hiking or you're in nature, like you want to pick up after yourself and trash. And I and, and I, I like that, but I like to take it a step further. Like if all of us not only take care of our own garbage and take care of our own stuff, but if we can just do like 1% to leave it communally better than we found it, like we're talking about massive global change. So um, that like, that's the first thing that comes up when I think of values of like, leave it better than you found it. There's something that just like functionally encompasses a lot similar to what you were talking about. Well, dude, I mean, I literally, I didn't plan this at all, but this is your card right here on my desk Hey, that you left. 
when you when you when you left our house after you stayed here for the weekend, you left this and you left this house and the room better than when you found it. That's awesome. That's great. I love it. <laughs> that's, that's pretty that's cool. A great man. card, dude. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. I, I'm a big fan of the handwritten, big fan of the handwritten notes. Um, yeah, because that's a good way to leave it, leave it better than than you found big. it. Learn I think like learning and community are also two of my high values as well. Like um what is it from the, the the movie and the book Into the Wild? The whole takeaway of like happiness is only real when shared. And like at the end of the day, like mm-hmm. that's what we're like sharing it with community, sharing the highs and the lows. Like we need community through those times. And I think that's something that maybe we can speak on. But especially now in today's day and age, I, I feel like there's just like such a yearning for more community and more connection in an authentic way. Yeah, it's... um. Yeah, I always think about like how I always get jealous of like pre-industrial humans sometimes <laughs> because I feel like they had and maybe this is just me like with rose-colored glasses thinking of like this utopian past before agriculture which I'm probably guilty of but you know, I just feel like if you look at like a Native American if you talk about learning and nature and community as being things that like you value and you know bring you happiness and humans happiness and then i look at you know native american or indigenous cultures and i just kind of think they have all that when they wake up every single morning Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know like they don't have to try for it Mm. and it's base level for them and um so i think like yeah the, Mm the the times that like i feel like get the like when I did Krav Maga, right? Okay, you're getting physical stuff, you're learning something, and you're in a community. Like, dude, those types of like even you go play volleyball, like you went surfing over the weekend, right? Like, dude, though that fires on all cylinders. Man, that kind of shit hits home. And you can start combining that stuff. You're outdoors, getting physical activity with friends. That's it. That's I don't, it. I don't I'll take a million dollars, but I don't really need it as much anymore. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. No, it's a great, it's a great reminder and challenge to be able to cultivate that into our day to day. And I think that's so much around why why I loved your book on so many levels, obviously like you're a great writer and reading it. I was right there in the stories with you and, and it wasn't, we'll talk about this in a bit too, but like, it wasn't like self-help book, health self-help E, but there was just like real, yeah, that's, I know that was probably your one thing you're going for. (laughs) <laughs> but um oh. but you know you're getting concrete concrete advice throughout the throughout the the book as you're reading it but building an intentional life of like asking yourself like what what is it that I actually really really want and for me it's totally shifted we've had this conversation as well but when I was younger it was just like I want to make as much money as possible like that's the driver 100% and that was just kind of I don't that was just what I was programmed with in no bad ways it was just what I wanted to do and then it starts to shift as you get a bit older and you're like just because you can doesn't mean you should. And like, why, why do I want this? What will this bring me? And then you get down to it. It's like, this will bring me and afford me the ability to like go surfing with my friends or do Krav Maga or, or like hang or spend time with books, and nature and friends. <laughs> so like, why don't we cut to the chase here and cultivate the lifestyle around those priorities? And what I'm finding is that the money follows as a result of identifying those priorities and, and, and attacking those first, first thing. Dude, that's a, dude, that is such a hard thing to remember that I'm literally having this conversation um, with Ashley because she just switched careers and started doing real estate. And she was super stressed at her old job. And she would try to fit in meeting up with friends. She tried to fit in going to her True Fusion workout classes that she loves. And then she started doing real estate two weeks ago. And she found herself starting to get caught up in the work again. And we had this talk where I was like, look, the reason why you switched careers is because you were so stressed out in that one. You have to build your life right now. And then mm. let's sprinkle real estate on top. You know, obviously that changes for every person, whether they're trying that hustle mode and it's like, they need to make a bunch of money for their family or whatever, but like you're, you're going to enjoy real estate more. People are going to enjoy you more. You'll probably make more money. Like you said anyway, because mm-hmm. people want to be around you more because like you're just coming at, coming at everything from such a good place. And, um, man, that is the easiest thing to forget though. It's so easy to just think that like, I mean, we see a thousand ads a day, whatever that number is, yeah. you know, I mean, the whole system is set up around consumerism, yeah. which, um, you know, so you just, you're, you're programmed from birth to think that 
you will get more happiness and you will get more contentment when you buy more things or mm -hmm. you acquire or own more things. To a certain extent, that is true. But really, the more money just buys you more freedom to do those things that you wanted to do, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Why don't you at least do some of them now? Right. While you're working. And then you why, can do, why, make like, your millions too and do more of them later yeah. down the road and whatever. But yeah, why not? Don't wait. Now? Yeah. Don't wait. It's like, let's not get the cart before don't the wait. horse here. Like, yeah, no. <laughs> and, but you know what? Like, I've done it a million times, man. I've literally done it a million times where I have, I've waited. I've waited for the perfect moment. I've wasted years waiting for the perfect moment for different things in my life. You know, I've waited years to start even writing that book for the perfect moment. I waited years to find the right girl. I waited years to, to take a chance on different things because I just figured that, you know, in a year, a year, it would be the perfect time in about a year, next month, next week. And then it just goes on forever. And so what did you do about it never that? happens. Yeah. You got to have friends. You got to like, you got to write down the things that you want to do. I always, I'm a huge list take, list maker. So I always write down the things I want to do. And then I pick one and then I tell somebody I'm going to do this, or I'm going to pay you this amount of money. And then I start doing it. And then I reward myself when I do it. Boom. Simple. Yeah. That is, it's pretty simple. Especially, yeah. especially because something I find at least is that we all know what we want or need to do. Like right now, if you were to like, if everybody would just stop and think about like, what's something that I know I wanted to start doing, or I know I shouldn't be doing like, what's one positive change that I can make in my life. Like you don't have to search. You don't have to think very hard for the answer. We know what it is. It's just, we need that execution. I love your accountability, your accountability idea or, or theory or method around you tell a friend, tell them that if you don't yeah. do it, you're going to pay them X amount of money. Venmo you a hundred dollars or, and if you do do it, you're going to reward yourself with a cheat meal or with something. Yeah, it dude, it honestly, it does. It works with everything. I've used that. Um, I've used that from everything from working out to writing the book to, um, you know, um, calling, like calling friends that I haven't talked to in a while, mm -hmm. you know, so I'm going to call this person. I'll, I'll tell Ash, I'll tell different friends. I'm going to call three people this week. And if I don't, I'll send you a hundred bucks. But if I do, I'm going to go get that smoothie or, you know, I'm going to go take myself to that movie or something like that. Yeah. Or buy a new hunting rifle or some shit. Yeah. That's a, that's a, that's a great way. You earn it. Yeah. Earn those things. Uh, so let's talk about the book for a sec. Um, you shared something with me that I want you to share again with me for the listeners around why you decided to start the book when you did write the book when you did um it has since influenced me to do the same thing when i told you uh, i feel like i'm not quite quite ready for the first book yet like i i feel like i need i need some more time and context to like tie things together i'm not i'm not quite ready for the book yet and what did you share with me yeah i i told you that i had the exact same sentiment when i was just starting to think about writing my book and i told my good friend and editor Greg, that exact same thing. And I said, look, man, I don't really want to write the book right now because as soon as I'm done writing it, I'm going to learn a bunch of new stuff and I'm going to want to change it. I'm always evolving. I'm always changing. So I'm scared that I'm going to write it. And then it's going to be outdated the minute that I put it out. I'm going to want to go back and change it and everything. And he goes, okay, no, no, totally. I hear you. Well, then just, you're never going to put out a book then. Just don't put out a book. And I was like, well, what do you mean? He's like, because that's never going to change. So you will never put out a book if you, if that's the way you feel and you're going to just do that. But if you want to put out a book, then you're going to have to deal with that. And I was like, okay, what do I do to start <laughs> writing the book, man? Um, that's awesome. Yeah. So it was so, um, so I, so eye opening, you know, and I mean, that's the kind of stuff that you need other people to point out to you. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah, that, that hits. That certainly hits. So with with the book, what was the like, what was the intention behind writing this book for you? The intention was to have somebody pick up the book that like we were talking about earlier, they don't even know the other options that are there. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to I wanted on like a macro level level to like restructure 
what they thought was possible throughout the process of, of reading the book through the stories. It, it, it's kind of a, it's kind of written in, in a, in a format that isn't normal because, and it's, it's kind of like broken up into stories that sometimes don't flow, but it's because I wanted, I wanted it to just kind of hit in a different way. And I wanted the quotes and I wanted the stories and I wanted the lessons learned and I wanted the, the science even in it to just like, at the end of it, someone put it down and just was like, holy fuck, I had no idea. The the door opened, you know, like the door of, of, of their perception to like what is possible mm-hmm. is cracked open a little bit and then they can choose to open it up a little further if they want. Yeah, love that. It, how do you, I, we've had, I know, conversations on end about this because this is something that I really admire about your work, whether it's your book, your emails, your podcast, just the general vibe that you put out there and the content that you create. Um, it's it's very authentic. It's real, right? It's not, how do I put this lightly? It's not you, it's not you trying to be a life coach in the life coaching space, right? <laughs> like, and in, in a very crowded, noisy space um, with a lot of what feels like fakeness. How do you navigate that? One, I'm not trying to make money off it. Hmm. I think that's crucial. I've, I have never really, I mean, I've sold 500 copies of the book so far. So, I mean, I've made a little money off that, I guess, but I didn't even recoup the money that I spent to make the book. So none of the stuff that I'm doing creatively is for profit. Hmm. I'm not trying to make any money off of it. So I am not beholden to any audience. I'm not beholden to any worldview or, or any type of style that people expect from me because, um, my, my paycheck doesn't, isn't resting on their shoulders. I think that's honestly the biggest thing. Um, that's big. Yeah, that's that's a big piece of it. I hadn't really thought about it till you just asked me. Yeah, but, um, it's a great answer. I think that's a yeah. I think that's a big part of it, man. And then um, and then the rest is honestly just like I have really good friends, and so I think there's a there's a deep party that's always scared when you write something that is a little divisive or like you start talking about whatever, like, you know, drug, like, you know, shroom use and ayahuasca use and things that maybe aren't as mainstream in certain mm-hmm. areas, but, um, it helps when one, you write a book called rewrite the rules. So really anything you put in there is clearly not going to be mainstream. <laughs> that kind of helps. Um, and then also I think on a really deep level, man, like a lot of times that fear comes from, you know, our deepest fears as humans is being ostracized from our tribe. Right. As I'm sure you, you obviously know that I'm sure you've talked to people on this podcast about that concept. Like that's our deepest, deepest fears being kicked out of the tribe. Um, but I have built a pretty strong tribe around me and I have a lot of really good friends. And so I know I could write the dumbest, the dumbest thing tomorrow and I could put it all on social media and it could go viral and it get 10 million hits. I get so much hate from it and it could just be like the dumbest piece of writing, just stupid, whatever it is, it could just be terrible on every aspect of the word. And, uh, I could still have 20 friends to call up and hang out with, and they really wouldn't give a shit or they probably wouldn't even heard about it. And if they did, mm. they would just go, huh? okay. Um, so I think like on a deep level, I know that whatever I do, I still have a tribe of people. Brilliant. So I can do whatever I want. Yeah. Brilliant. <laughs> it's kind of like how that feels. That's great. That's great. Well, it addresses yeah. like the big fear for sure, which is that that's the fear at the end of the day, right? Is just acceptance in that way. And when you have a strong community, then yeah. you don't need to worry about that. I mean, that's, that's what's always, that's what impedes creativity, right? Whenever I like, I'm, you, you know, this man, I'm like, I, I feel that whenever there's a flow of creativity, it's, it's always, there's always, the block is always a fear of something, right? Your fear mm-hmm. of the way that you're going to perceive that your creativity, your fear of the response from people. You're scared that it's not, it's going to come off that you're trying too hard. It's going to come off that you um, aren't trying hard enough. There, there's so many different ways that it's going to manifest. But really, if you distill that down, it probably comes down to one. Yeah, I am going to die because I'm going to put out this post that I make my money from doing this type of coaching. And now this post is going to, you know, uh, ostracize, you know, half of my audience. And then they're not going to sign up for my thing anymore. And I'm not going to make mm. any money. And then my whole family and me are going to starve. And I'm going to live under you know, a bridge somewhere. And the other yeah. side is, you know, I'm going to put this out and my friends and family are going to hate me. They're not going to invite me to Christmas. I'm going to be all alone. 
And um, so when you have like those base, because it always has to be the base fear, right? Like clearly you could still go somewhere for Christmas, <laughs> but like, it's like that base rooted fear. If you can, if you can, if you can resolve that, then, um, then it can't grow and, mm. and, and like sprout itself out when you have your pen to the paper and you want to write that sentence, but you just can't seem to get yourself to or record that video or whatever it is you're doing creatively. Um, it'll manifest itself in these weird ways at the top because the roots are rooted in, in one of those core fears. Yeah. So when you can focus on observing and eliminating those fears or just observing, calling them out, naming them, then you like cut it down at the roots, right? Yeah. And like figuring out, yeah, like calling them, like naming them and then being like, okay, well, where, why does that, why do I feel that way? And then like figuring out, oh, it's because, yeah, I feel like I'm going to, I'm going to lose my job. And if I lose yeah. my job, yep. then I'm not going to have any money. I'm not going to be able to eat. I'm going to die. <laughs> right. That's that's uh, that's so yeah. much of the power of the the side hustle that I think that is only going to continue to get stronger and stronger, especially in the digital world when we're not necessarily in an office. Most people are not in an office any anymore. Every single hour of the day is the ability to to build a side hustle. Like it makes like we we talked about this, but you don't you don't need to take a massive scary jump when you can build a bridge to get to where you want to go. And and that's so much Ooh. of I feel like the the power of the of the side hustle in that way, and and it allows it allows you to approach it from that place of abundance and not of lack, from that place of I'm sharing this because I genuinely want to share this, and I'm not reliant on this to pay for my rent at the end of the day. One day, hopefully, that's the case, and that will happen as a result of me continuously sharing things. But right now, I'm going to continue to leverage what I have and my skill sets in other areas. Dude, that's why I think there's the great resignation going on right now. Have you heard about that? No. What's the great resignation? It's everyone quitting their jobs. I think yeah. it's, they've been recording this data for the past 30, 40 years. And in May and June, the most amount of people in recorded history quit their jobs. Wow. Yeah. So Interesting. And it's, be, it's because the, the pandemic exposed a lot of cracks mm -hmm. in society. And people's paradigms are changing and what their priorities are changing. And so people are just getting up and they're leaving their jobs, not to stop working, but I think like you were just talking about, I think it's to start side hustles. It's to start the yeah. thing. It's to maybe move back home with their parents for six months and figure it out. Maybe mm -hmm. it's to get an RV and go live in that for a while. And yeah, you know, they're just switching up their priorities with everything. Yeah. Which is great to see people taking control, intentionally living their life. Um, yeah, Alex, for real, is, right? Yeah. Yeah. This is um uh this has been great, bro. We we're coming up on time here, and I know we got to jump for another call. So dude, I can't believe that that was an hour. That was honestly a, a really quick hour. That was a very quick hour, bro. <laughs> very quick hour. <laughs> yeah. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna have you back on the podcast when you come out to San Diego next month and oh, we'll do, do it, it in, in person. person, man. That'd be awesome. We'll yeah. do it in person here. We'll grab a beer and we'll let it rip with no time restraint. But, um, I appreciate you coming on, bro. Is there anything that you want to share as we, uh, as we wrap up here? No, man, no, I, I appreciate uh, being on dude. I, I, it's, it's been awesome getting to know you the past few years, you know, and we, we, we don't even hang out in person, like probably five times, but, yeah. um, yeah, man, it's cool. And, and I love what you're doing with the podcast and I can't wait for your book to come out, man. Thanks, bro. Yeah, with your help, man. Thank you. All right, brother. Much love. Yep. We'll uh, we'll be in touch. All right. All right. Take care.